Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This week, Bishop and Kyle wrap up our seven-part series on the corporal works of mercy by focusing on burying the dead. Hear more about why it's considered a work of mercy, the importance of praying for the dead, and ways to journey with those who are grieving. But first, the show begins with Bishop's thoughts on the invasion of Ukraine and a prayer for those in the area. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God of love, we are disconcerted by the acts of war in Ukraine. Enable us to stand in solidarity with those who suffer and who live today in fear and anxiety. Sustain the hope of all those in this beloved part of the world who seek justice and peace. Send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Peace, to inspire the leaders of nations and all human beings. Welcome into your love those who are dying from the violence and war. Console the families in mourning. Support those who have had to flee to take the road of exodus. Faced with incomprehensible suffering, we still believe that your words of love and peace will never pass. You gave your life on the cross, and you opened a future for us, even beyond death. So we implore you, give us your peace. Bless the people of Ukraine with peace. You are our hope. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Mary, Queen of Peace, pray pray for for us. us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. This is Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with Bishop. Uh, That was a a very nice prayer for those in Ukraine. Any thoughts on the situation between Russia and Ukraine? Well, of course, things change day to day, but everyone has been inspired by the courage, I think, of the Ukrainian people in resisting the unjust Russian aggression. And... We think about how overpowered they are by Russia's military might, but yet their spirits seem to be filled with courage, and I think they are an inspiration. But we have to remember the tremendous suffering. On Ash Wednesday, Pope Francis asked Catholics throughout the world to pray and fast that day for the people of Ukraine and um and I've written to, uh, in my Lenten message, uh, to the people of the diocese, have invited people to remember Ukraine in their prayers and sacrifices throughout the season of Lent, not just on Ash Wednesday, to be in solidarity with our brothers and sisters whose freedom has been violated and who seek to live in peace and the dignity of the freedom that is their right. So... Some people have asked, well, what can we do besides our prayers? And I said, well, of course we can be generous in our Lenten almsgiving, especially by supporting Catholic Relief Services that is very involved in responding in this humanitarian crisis. As usual, CRS has been in Ukraine for a long time, and right now a lot of the work of our CRS staff is to support families who are are displaced. That number continues to grow every day. 
people fleeing to Poland and Moldova and Romania and other places. So Catholic Relief Services has been supporting our local Caritas partners in those countries and in Ukraine itself. Also distributing food, CRS is there at reception centers, train stations, etc., providing things like transportation, shelter, food, counseling for displaced families, and also involved in evacuating vulnerable children from the conflict areas in Ukraine to safety, to centers and safe zones. So I think, you know, donations to CRS are always welcome and they can be made online. All you have to do is go to the Catholic Relief Services website and they have right there, I think, on the home page about donations to help the people in Ukraine. And we also are involved, as usual, with advocacy with our own government to prioritize the needs of the Ukrainian people and the crisis that is going on there. We don't know how long the conflict will last, but we know that the church's support is vital. The Pope himself has, has spoken about this. The Holy Fathers remind us that it's really ordinary people who are the real victims who pay for the foolishness of war. I just am grateful to all those who have expressed to me their, that they're praying for peace in Ukraine. Yeah, and we will have the, the prayer that you shared. We'll be able to play that on Redeemer Radio as well. And like you said, crs.org, right on the front page, there's Help Families in Ukraine. And you can make your financial contribution there, as well as there's some prayers and things, other resources that you can find at crs.org. So thank you for sharing that, Bishop, and definitely encourage all to keep in prayers, but also if there's something that you can do to help to, to do that, because we've been doing this series on the Corporal Works of Mercy, and it's all about you know not just the faith alone, but also putting that faith into action and our call to, to serve each other, really. And we've done Feed the Hungry, we've done Give Drink to the Thirsty, Shelter the Homeless, Clothe the Naked, Visit the Imprisoned, Visit the Sick. Today will be our, our last of the seven corporal works of mercy, and that's burying the dead, which if I had to come up with a list of things, I, that probably wouldn't have been in my top seven ways of serving others, of a, a work of mercy. How do you think this fits in, and, and how important do you think it is? I think it really can be placed alongside the spiritual work of mercy to pray for the living and the dead. Mm -hmm. I mean, they go hand in hand. Now, it does seem a bit curious, you know, how do we go about burying the dead? But in certain parts of the world, I mean, we just talked about Ukraine. I mean, we have people living under the scourge of war with bombings every day and night and people afraid, innocent victims. And quite literally, people are practicing that work of mercy to bury the dead even at risk, perhaps, to their own well-being, their own lives. We also have an example in the Bible, in the book of Tobit. You have the elderly Tobit who risked his life to go and bury the dead, and even though the king had prohibited it. And as I mentioned, there are those who risk their lives to bury uh, victims of war. So it is still something that needs to be done. We think about Joseph of Arimathea, hmm. you know, this member of the Sanhedrin who was a disciple of Jesus, he offered his tomb 
a new tomb that had been hewn out of rock, and and then he went to Pilate and asked for Jesus's body. I mean, that was a true work of mercy, and that took courage to do that. So for us as Christians, as disciples, burial is an act of mercy, an act of compassion. We bury the bodies of our loved ones. We do so in hope of their resurrection. We believe that the bodies of the dead should be treated with respect and dignity, and it's important that we fulfill the responsibility that we have to bury the dead. I think there's also some, I guess you could say, indirect ways that we can practice this corporal work of mercy. For example, attending funerals, you know, of parishioners who die or other people or attending wakes or visitations, certainly of our family and friends, but maybe even people we don't know, we can attend their funeral mass. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of Catholics, a lot of our parishes have bereavement committees. These are groups of people who for example, provide funeral luncheons. And that is a wonderful way to indirectly practice this work of mercy. There's also the issue, and I'm very happy with our Catholic cemetery in Fort Wayne, and I'm sure this happens at many parish cemeteries as well, about offering free Christian burials to the poor, to those who are unable to afford them. Mm-hmm. And if people want to say, well, listen, I want to really want to practice this, this work of mercy, they could go, for example, to Divine Mercy Funeral Home and make a donation to, to cover the costs of the burial of someone who is poor or destitute. I remember when I was a pastor, we had a lot of poor people in the parish, and so many struggled when they lost a loved one and had no money to pay for the funerals. And um, of course, We wanted them to be able to have a funeral mass. We wanted them to have a wake or visitation if they so desired. And we certainly wanted their bodies to be buried in in our Catholic cemeteries. So so we made sacrifices at the parish to make sure that 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 was able to be done. We were a poor parish, so sometimes I had to ask wealthy people from outside the parish if they could help out. But even our diocesan cemetery— had a fund to help in these situations. So I think these are, you know, maybe some practical suggestions for living out this work of mercy. Maybe you have other ideas. Um, well, I was wondering, does this contradict? I, I, it doesn't. I'm, I'm Spoiler, I'm sure it doesn't. <laughs> Jesus doesn't contradict himself, but it seems like a contradiction with Matthew chapter 8, verse 22, where he says, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Like he's telling, I think it was the apostles, like not to, yeah. not to worry about burying the dead. Yeah. I think you have to always take scripture passages like that in context, because in the context there, Jesus is talking about how following him, discipleship should have number one priority in our life. Mm-hmm. And to be detached, he even says about leaving your family behind. And I mean, that's just not a normal thing. The reason Jesus is saying those things is he's talking about the radical call of discipleship. He's not speaking against the duties of family life or the duties to bury the dead. He's just saying that number one must be following him, you know, so. And then I imagine 
if you avoid going to funerals your your whole life or as much as possible, maybe you start to lose that idea of this life being temporary. And maybe attending funerals by praying for the dead, is it a reminder of our own mortality in a way? Yeah, I mean, just think about Ash Wednesday. We live in a culture that kind of, you know, likes to ignore or flee from death. You right. know, it's it's not a comfortable thing to think about. But yet the church makes us think about it. And so many people go to church on Ash Wednesday. And one of the two formulas that is used for imposing ashes is, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. I mean, that's pretty stark reminder of right. of our mortality. But sometimes I think we try to not think about that. We try not to think about our mortality. But it is important that we do so, that we feel and experience our mortality. Every passing day brings us closer to death. Mm -hmm. And there's something destructive about it. It's It's rather maybe disheartening to think about returning to dust, but it's important to, to do so, to not forget, as you say, Kyle, that we're merely passing through this world. Now, at the same time, though, we know that we weren't created by God for death. We were created by God for life. Our death doesn't mean destruction and annihilation. We have immortal souls. We know that our human bodies will decay, but that our souls will meet God at the moment of our death. Now, we also believe, and this is very important, this is why we treat dead bodies, corpses with respect, we believe that God will grant incorruptible life to our bodies by reuniting them with our souls through the power of the resurrection of Jesus. So during this season of Lent, of course, we're preparing to celebrate the joy and the new life, eternal life, because of the resurrection of our Lord. Lent isn't a journey just to Good Friday, okay? Lent is a journey to Easter Sunday. A year ago today, you did an episode on Memento Mori, which I feel like is, there's a lot of this in there. Can you maybe just give us a brief—people uh, can go back and listen to that episode. It was March 10th, 2021, so a year ago tomorrow. Can you give us like a brief summary of what Memento Mori is and how that fits in with this? Yeah, you know, I don't remember what I said a year ago, but memento mori basically means it's about remembering death. Remember that we will all die, which is what I've just been talking about, that we're merely passing through this world. So I think really what the church does in things like that, in hymns, in some of our prayers, is calling that truth to mind, that we should remember death. We should also remember those who have gone before us, those who have died and passed from this world. At every Mass, we pray for the dead. I always find that important. That I like the fact that in the Roman canon, which is Eucharistic Prayer 1, the priest prays, remember, Lord, your servants, and 
he pauses. Hmm. I like now some priests go real fast. I think we really should pause. I always pause. And I think of particular loved ones. And then he continues, the priest continues, who have gone before us with the sign of faith and rest in the sleep of peace. Grant them, O Lord, we pray, and all who sleep in Christ, a place of refreshment, light, and peace. Death should not be a morbid thought. Yes, it's a... It's something that can be accompanied by pain and suffering. There is, as I said, a destructive element about it. Our bodies do decay. But in remembering death, as we, I just mentioned in the excerpt from the Eucharistic prayer, we believe that after death, there is a place of refreshment, light, and peace for those who die in friendship with God. All right, well, if you have questions for Bishop, you can text them to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598, and we'll continue to talk about the corporal work of mercy, burying the dead, including funerals, relics, and more coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit, member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives with products, services, and education. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it back to our members. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. We are finishing our series on the seven corporal works of mercy. Today we are talking about burying the dead. And you talked about this lining up with the spiritual work of mercy of praying for the dead. Is it also, is there a tie-in with the beatitude of blessed are they who mourn for they will be comforted? Is it? There is. I would say that that beatitude has a broader meaning because it also refers to mourning for our sins. But oftentimes, for example, that beatitude is mentioned in funerals and funeral homilies because it also is talking about why do we mourn? It's it's because we love someone who has died. Okay, so in this other context regarding death, blessed are those who mourn. It's a promise, really, from Jesus that if we've lived in love and we lose someone that we love, someone dies, yes, we will be comforted. There is that promise. You know, those without love do not mourn. Hmm. Death can break our heart, you know. I think of just recently a woman lost her husband of 70 I don't know. It was, I think, almost 75 years of marriage. I mean, you can imagine that sense of loss. So, yes, that's a, a beautiful promise of Jesus. We're also called to help those who are grieving. It's sometimes hard to know exactly what to say, but it's not so much what we say. Let's say we go to a, a viewing or a wake and you're in the line and you know, you express your sympathy, your condolences. I mean, you might want to recall some 
joyful times or some people are uncomfortable in those situations so they avoid going and i would say no just your being there is a sign of your support it's not always what you say yeah i also would say that i mentioned attending funerals another thing is is sending sympathy cards or even better mass cards hmm. i mean what a beautiful gift to have holy mass offered for the soul of a deceased person you know all you have to do is go to the parish and and say that you would like to have a mass offered for such and such a person and they give you a mass card and they they will schedule the mass or put it on a list of of mass intentions to be celebrated later you know that's really the greatest gift we can give i think is the gift of a mass offered for someone so those are just some ideas yeah, yeah. and then you know besides praying for the dead attending funerals is there something about going to a cemetery to pray for somebody is it is there any spiritual advantage or is it more of an emotional thing i think visiting the cemetery and praying at the grave of a deceased loved ones is kind of does satisfy a human need of ours but i also think it's it's a good thing because i don't know my own experience is when i'm actually praying at the spot where their mortal remains are are entombed or buried i don't know there's something special about that it doesn't make it better prayer so to speak okay. but it's really important i mean you know like if i go home i like to visit the graves of my parents and other relatives and loved ones who have died and to pray at their at their graves to leave some flowers there for example it's kind of also a little sign of respect i think for the holy temple of their bodies that are buried there do you have any idea how many people plan their own funerals is that a pretty common thing is that something that you encourage i think it's good i i think um i don't know how common it is i would guess that it's less common than than not doing so hmm. you know our priests they're required to have their funeral arrangements written out and it's we keep them in a file so that um, it's just easier for us when a priest dies that we know what their wishes are and we can go forward with the planning at the parish etc to know what readings that they asked for or maybe particular music or songs at their funeral who they would like to be the celebrant or the homilist at their funeral you know at times you have to kind of update those because people may die that you've chosen to do stuff i know my funeral plans i've had on a table a few years to update them because they're still like geared to what I had planned in Harrisburg. And I keep <laughs> saying, I'm going to get around to this. Well, it's been 12 years yeah. <laughs> and I haven't gotten to it. I th Although I think I've said to like Father Gertner, listen, I didn't revise them, but I want you to know this. Uh -huh. I kind of will ask people, I don't know where to get buried. And, and they kind of, what are you thinking about that, Bishop? Well, you never know. Yeah. You know, it's kind of difficult for surviving family members sometimes too if you don't have things planned out so i was really struggling like should i be buried it looks like there's one spot left in the crypt of the cathedral of the immaculate conception uh, and i thought do i want to be there or would i rather be at catholic cemetery or 
And then I want to think, okay, where will I get the most prayers? Mm. If I'm buried in the cemetery or buried, there is something special about being buried under an altar, though, which is what Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception, the, the crypt where the bishops are buried is directly under the altar. So I'm probably leaning in that direction, but but I thought, like Archbishop Knoll, he asked to be buried at Victory Knoll because he was very close to the Victory Knoll sisters, and he's at that cemetery. I think he probably thought, well, if he's buried there, the sisters will always be praying for him, <laughs> yeah. so he'd get more prayers. Uh, so that's how I'm approaching it. Where will I get the most prayers? So you wouldn't want to be buried back in Pennsylvania? I don't think so. No, I feel like this is my home now, okay. and I've been bishop here. Yeah, And I don't think my family will mind because they would come and pray there, hopefully. Yeah. Uh -huh. Well, one other thing whenever we talk about burying the dead, and I know you've mentioned this in, in past episodes, but is the idea of cremation. Can you give us maybe a, a summary of the church's teaching on cremation? Yeah, I mean, the church prefers uh, the burial of the whole body, but allows cremation. So it's not the church's preference, but it allows cremation. Yeah. Cremation was always, in the early centuries of the church, associated as a pagan practice. Huh. The Christians would bury the bodies of the dead, and pagans would cremate them. So there is a stipulation in canon law that cremation is not allowed if it's a statement of denial of the resurrection of the body. You know, so if there's a really an anti-Christian motive for the cre cremation. Now, I have never met anyone who, who who chooses cremation for that reason, but but the church does have that stipulation. The other stipulation is that if there is cremation, the cremains, the ashes, need to be buried or be in a crematorium. They can't be scattered. They can't be, because that's disrespectful. They can't be kept in a bays in one's home. Uh, no, they have to be disposed of properly, which is burial or entombment. And then I guess along those lines, you said, don't put it on a vase in the home. How do relics fit in here as far as instead of them being buried, these saints are kind of divided up for veneration? Yeah. What happens if someone is being considered for sainthood for canonization? At the time that they are beatified, the body is exhumed. Oftentimes, they're checked to see if the bodies have been kept incorrupt, which has happened, kind of a little miracle. Mm -hmm. The use of relics really goes back to the custom of celebrating the Eucharist during the times of persecution, for example, in the catacombs over the places where the martyrs are buried. And then as the persecutions ended, the bodies of the martyrs were placed in churches under altars so that that custom of, of celebrating a holy mass over the tombs of martyrs continued because they were so united to Christ that they died for him. You know, so we celebrate the memorial of Christ's death and resurrection over their remains. So it's really a beautiful custom. Well, as the church grew, you know, there, you know, to have whole bodies of martyrs everywhere is not really possible. So, the idea of taking a little part of the body of a of a martyr 
and then extended later to saints who weren't martyrs, like an arm or whatever, and placing that under an altar rather than the whole bodies. So that's how the custom of relics began. As you know, then the custom grew in in more recent years of a lot of little pieces of bones of of saints and martyrs. And the church has some very strict guidelines because this was getting a little bit out of control and people were trying to obtain relics and they were getting spread all over the place in people's homes and everything else. Well, the church now is much stricter about that. Relics, they want larger pieces, not a lot of little relics, but larger pieces of bone, etc. And they are only given now for public veneration. So a bishop would be able to ask for such a relic if it's going to be for public veneration, for example, placed under an altar in a new church. But the church really doesn't want this extensive distribution of relics all over the place, and even worse, the selling of relics. That's, that's, uh, that's certainly wrong and against the law of the church. All right. Well, anything else to wrap up either this particular corporal work of mercy, burying the dead, or our whole series on the seven corporal works of mercy? No, I, I, I really enjoyed doing this. I mean, to be able to delve deeply into this, of course, as we've, we've mentioned, this really has biblical roots in especially the parable of the last judgment in Matthew chapter 25. But it reminds us that very important teaching that we find in Scripture and the letter of James, that faith apart from works is dead. And so having the corporal works of mercy are a very concrete way for us to live the love that we are called to live. Of course, love is the fulfillment of all our works, according to St. Augustine, and charity is the source of good. So to do these works of mercy with this supernatural spirit is important, and it also has great power to draw people to faith in God. It really is living out the call to love those in need and to serve them. Well, and I encourage people to go back. If you missed any of these, go back and listen to all seven of the breakdown of the corporal works of mercy. I know for me, it's been very challenging because I've realized how I fall short in all of these categories and how much room I have to grow in practicing these virtues and, and to to love others the best that I can through these different corporal works of mercy. So thank you for breaking this down for us, Bishop. And I, I hope everybody's learned at least a fraction of how much I've learned. So it's been good. Uh. You're welcome, Kyle. And uh, no, I've enjoyed it. Thank you for coming up with this idea. And it, it's also helped me to reflect more deeply, even in my life, and how I'm living or not living these works of mercy and maybe being more attentive to, to doing so. Right. Thank you. All right. Before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.
This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.